0: You are listening to The Climbing Advocate Podcast. This is your host, Peter Horgan. On this podcast, I'll be chatting with folks who care deeply about the climbing environment to discuss the advocacy work that is happening beyond the crag. My aim is to connect more climbers to the important work that these advocates are doing day in and day out. From the small local crags to the nation's iconic landscapes, even to the offices of our nation's capital, no crag is too big or too small to not have its interests represented. This show is brought to you in partnership with the Access Fund. Since 1991, the Access Fund has been keeping the crags, boulders, and alpine environments around the country conserved and cared for. Support the Access Fund by visiting accessfund.org or by supporting your local climbing organization. All right, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to episode four of the show. For those of you who are just joining us, this is the Climbing Advocate Podcast, and again, my name is Peter Horgan, your host. For those of you who have listened to since episode one, I want to express my gratitude to all of you as well. I've gotten more and more great feedback from everyone, so thank you very much. Really appreciate it. And if you haven't yet, here's a little shameless plug again. Please hit that subscribe button there on iTunes or find us on SoundCloud as well. That'd be awesome. For this episode, I uh, headed down south. Not physically, but uh, I talked to some folks down in Texas, uh, Adam Mitchell and Brian Tickle. And they got a lot going on down in Texas. They've had some great recent successes, which we'll talk about, and some big plans for the future. 2019 has got a lot on the docket for them. So without uh, any more hesitation, let's dive into episode four with Brian Adam from the Texas Climbers Coalition and the Access Fund. All right. Well, welcome, folks. Excited to have you listening to the podcast today. Uh, I am joined this morning by Adam Mitchell of the Texas Climbers Coalition and Brian Tickle, the Texas Regional Coordinator. Is that correct, Brian?
1: Uh, Texas Regional
0: Director. Director from the Access Fund. Um, I'm super excited to be chatting with you both today. Uh, To be quite frank, I'm largely ill-informed on the climbing in Texas, so this would be a great learning opportunity for myself and for the listeners as well, so thank you so much for joining me.
2: Yeah, thanks for having us, Peter. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I have uh, this conversation kind of broken up into two parts. First, I just wanted to chat more generally about the climbing in Texas, to let everyone know that there is indeed a lot of climbing outside of Waco Tanks, and to also have you share a couple of acquisition projects that you've worked on in the past. And then for the second half, we could dive into some more policy-related stuff in the new campaign you guys have started uh, this past January. Sounds great. All right, so before we dive in, uh, Brian, why don't you introduce yourself, maybe like where you're originally from, a little bit about your climbing history and your role currently with the Access Fund.
1: Yeah, happy to. Uh, My name is Brian Tickle. I'm the Texas Regional Director for the Access Fund. It's a fairly new role. I started um, as staff in November, 2017. I'm a lifelong Texan, born and raised. Uh, Family goes back a number of generations. Um, And I started climbing uh, late high school, I think, just around central Texas and out at Enchanted Rock. And um, a couple of years ago, I was really fortunate to uh, spend some time down in Mexico and really just climb full time and and uh, kind of get to get a taste of the dirtbag experience, uh, albeit probably a little bit too late in life to really do that. Um, so I've been in Texas a long time. I've got a background in legislative work, and uh, a couple of years ago, we just started to build out a, a program for the Access Fund in Texas, uh, started raising funds, and uh, that's kind of how I ended up doing this.
2: Adam, how about yourself? Uh, well, I'm a, I'm a born and raised Texan also, but I grew up in Northeast Texas, so a little ways away from Austin. But I moved to Austin to go to college and then started climbing some, some time after college, just so right after I graduated, basically. Um, you know, and then, uh, I started guiding in 2009 and uh, the people who owned the guide service at that time were pretty active in the community and so it kind of helped me get involved, helped me start bolting and then uh, learning with another friend how to uh, replace bolts. Um, So my my kind of volunteer efforts kind of started with mainly bolt replacement and uh, I guess at this point I'm kind of the main person that does all that work in Texas, but, um, and then I guess uh, through time I, I started doing more and more. People uh, look to me as a leader in the community, and uh, a couple of years ago I became uh, the, I guess then the president of the uh, Texas Climbers Coalition. We've kind of changed our bylaws a bit, so I'm considered the executive director, um, and so yeah. And Hopefully, we've hit the ground running and done a lot in the last couple of years, I think.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Adam. So you've been with the TCC for a couple of years. How long has the TCC itself been around?
2: Well, uh, when I became president, we changed a lot. Um, So before that, um, there was basically a club that had been uh, the main organization in Texas called Central Texas Mountaineers. Uh, and they'd been around since uh, for about 40, 45 years. It's uh, kind of a long-term thing. Uh, we we changed the name and and uh, made it a, a full nonprofit, which it really is a a big thing. It actually is part of what made us uh, able to own property. Um, and so the the changes are pretty great, including a you know a full new rebranding. But we want to uh, be able to. You know, represent all of Texas, not just Central Texas, uh, where the little bit of the climbing is.
1: Yeah, and just to just to add on to Adam's <coughs> comments, I think t- uh, TCC might be one of the oldest LCOs that's out there. Oh, really? I, I <laughs> that's surprising. I had no idea. Yeah.
2: It, yeah, it, uh, it, they yeah, had to like start said, organizing pretty pretty early, uh, from from you know access to property and stuff. Uh, we'll get into that, I'm sure, later, but. You know, public lands is a really small thing in in Texas, and so, you know, they had to organize for a few reasons, and I'm sure we'll go into that in a little bit, but they organized super early.
0: Yeah, I was wondering about that. Uh, I know the impetus for a lot of other LCOs is due to an access issue or a stewardship issue. Was there anything like that at the beginning for you guys?
1: Part of part of why TCC was formed um, was really just to just to secure access to the Barton Creek Greenbelt, which is in Austin. Uh, places like Bull Creek, also in Austin. So there was sort of a Central Texas um, flavor to the work that they were doing, and you know there was just no organization at that time that would uh, hold a, have a relationship with the with the city parks and and work on stewardship projects and things like that. I don't think there was an actual uh, direct access threat that was um, central to his formation.
0: Gotcha, okay.
1: Just, there was a a need to have an organization maintaining
0: climbing areas. Right, of course. And Texas is a very large state. Are there any other regional chapters of TCC or any other smaller organizations um, that are more regionally focused around the state?
1: Yeah, there's a number of different LCOs. Um, Texas Climbers Coalition is, is is has a pretty large territory and is sort of you know moving towards a more statewide model. Uh, but there's also the Climbers of Waco Tanks Coalition, which just focuses purely on um, Waco tanks. There's the Central Texas uh, Climbing Committee, which focuses just on Enchanted Rock, and then there's also the Texas Mountaineers up in um, kind of the Dallas-Fort Worth area that. That does a lot of the the stone that's up there
0: gotcha so outside of waco tanks where is the climbing around texas like if you were to go bouldering somewhere else <laughs> where,
1: where would you go yeah i mean basically there's climbing um, everywhere west of i-35 um, all along the edwards plateau there's just rock everywhere um, and I think there's probably not too many areas west of the Pecos that don't have rock And Waco Tanks is of course um, world famous for bouldering and um, but really just just about any other <laughs> any other part of Texas has quite a bit of rock. Austin included Austin that. included. Yeah, yeah one seen. of the most popular areas being McKinney Falls, which is a state park in Austin-hmm.
0: Yeah, if Austin couldn't be any cooler with the live music and the food, now you got some awesome climbing on top of it. And I know it's just a big recreation mecca as well. A lot of water sports has been included in that. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right on. Well, I need to get down there at some point. I got some family in the area, so I don't have any excuses not to go.
1: Well, come down anytime. you're welcome.
0: Yeah, yeah, of course. So like you, uh, like you mentioned earlier, the majority of the climbing is on private lands in Texas. And I've heard private lands be described as th- quote unquote, the bedrock of climbing in Texas. And this is really the first episode that we have dove into private lands and discussing climbing on private land at length. And I imagine that this inherently comes with more work to navigate access, liability, and other legalities. Brian, can you describe any opportunities or challenges associated working with private landowners?
1: Yeah, I mean, the first, we kind of have a running joke down in Texas where if you want a new climbing area, you've got to buy one. Um, and we do actually have, you know, a number of, of climbing areas that are on private property that, that allow access. Um, I, I would say, in, in many ways, accessing private property is not any different in Texas than any other state. And uh, the, the one difference might be um, that a lot of the, you know, when we talk about private property being the bedrock of the state, what that really gets back to is that, a lot of the the ranches and, and private lands in Texas are run as businesses um, so one of the unique challenges I think we have in Texas is how to um, how to go into an area and, and potentially open it up uh, for climbing and also still meet the, the business needs of the, the people that own the property um, so you know I think in, in other parts of the country um, sometimes up in the Northeast where the, con, the, where the conservation movement sort of began, um, I think a lot of landowners understand just the inherent value of um, allowing the public onto their property. Uh, whereas in Texas, I think you know, they, they also understand that, that value, but they're also, you know, private lands are a business and they're, they're looking for ways to, to monetize their property, um, which, you know, that's a model that, that suits hunting and fishing well. Uh, but it's a little tricky to try to to mold climbing into that into that type of access.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think climbers generally have it pretty easy, not having to pay fees, at least in the West. Ty and I talked about this before, but um, with, pub- with the amount of public land in the West and BLM land and Forest Service land, you just get f- kind of free reign to go out wherever you want, and not have to pay for it. Besides camping, yeah. some some places are like places like, like Red Rocks. Uh, out in vegas where you got to pay an entrance fee to get in but largely you know i don't have to contribute much of my money to go climbing and compared like the motorized community where they have to pay for registration fees and licensing fees you know that a lot of that money goes towards conservation efforts so does is there any kickback like that on the on the private lands uh, down
1: in texas or is the landowner taking all of it
0: yeah, there have definitely been
1: examples where uh, private landowners were just um, taking a nominal fee for in exchange for access. Uh, and I think there have always been challenges, you know, tracking the, the climbers that come in, keeping track of money. Um, and, and also it just was in, in many ways a small amount of money and, and not a lot of incentive for the landowners to, you know, really maintain access in the long term. Um,
2: But, you know, that being said, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say, you know, and a a really good example of that would be Reimers Ranch. I mean, the the landowners uh, for a long time, I mean, you know, climbing was found there from people who went there to go fishing. They used to allow people to access their property to access the Pedernales River to fish. And some climbers went fishing down there and then, uh, you know, it's like, oh, hey, look at all this rock. Uh, got the landowners uh, psyched on climbing and then uh, you know charged two or three bucks just to come on their property to climb and then when Travis County came to them and wanted to buy their property they actually sold it to them for millions of dollars less than they would have if they'd have sold it to some developers and uh, they they held it for Travis County because they wanted climbers to have access they wanted the fishermen to have access and uh, they 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 felt really strongly that it should be parkland, and, and so we, we have a lot of grateful memories from those from Milton and his family.
0: That's great having some conservation-minded folks to keep access open for the recreationists.
2: Well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What uh, what about
0: liability? How how do you navigate that? I've never had to deal with that, and how does the access fund help with liability and take that off the hands of the landowner?
1: oh boy we're gonna we're gonna do the deep dive on liability as far as far as you want (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean what what we've sort of arrived at as the best strategy for um addressing liability with landowners is just to say hey you know the best thing you can do is to keep um keep the activity at an arm's length and to use an organization like the texas climbers coalition or you know other lcos around the country or the access fund use these organizations to manage the climbing. Um, and, and that really is the best tool that, that's available for um, immunizing landowners of liability. Um, and without, you know, diving too deeply into the weeds, every state has a set of laws that govern liability for landowners that open up their property to the public. And these are known as recreational use statutes. And each each state's a little bit different, but they all sort of work the same way. and they kind of list out activities and what they essentially tell landowners both public and private is hey you know if you allow the public onto your property to recreate um, you know you're protected uh, to some extent from um, liability yeah I'm
0: glad you re- you mentioned the recreational use statute we'll jump into that here a little yeah. bit later under the policy uh, half yeah. of, the, of the episode um, the next thing I wanted to mention and talk about is your recent success in the acquisition of the Medicine Wall. Congratulations to you both on that. That is fantastic. It's huge, great work there. And Yeah, thank you. Yeah, the, the setup for it is a little bit unique, and I think folks listening might not be completely familiar with how conservation easements work, and that's how it's set up now. So. Adam, could you give a little background on the history of the Medicine Wall and the TCC's r- current role in that acquisition?
2: Yeah, yeah, no problem. Uh, well, uh, historically, Medicine Wall was um, you know, a privately owned parcel within a, a huge development, basically four different quadrants of uh, developments that were 8,500 acres in north, northwestern San Antonio. Um, the wall was, you know, was climbed on, you know, bolted. There were thirty-seven, some odd routes, uh, but basically, the the it was being trespassed upon. Um, the The neighborhoods now are quite a bit closer than they were back then. It was it was, you know, almost almost uh, free reign up there, you know, all kinds of people used the land in, in maybe negative waves. I mean, full drive vehicles in the creek, all kinds of stuff. Um, unfortunately, in, uh, I think 2015, Brian, is that
1: correct? Yeah, 2015, there, that's right.
2: There was a fatal accident on the wall. And uh, so the landowners, you know, took more active approach of managing the property. And what that means is basically, you know, they they chopped all the bolts, they, uh, you know, built a fence around the top and, and blocked all access. Um, so, you know, that's a, it's a pretty hard lesson learned, you know, don't, don't gain access through illegal means, you know. Um, so then uh, in 2000, I guess 17, when I became president and after we changed into a nonprofit, it it came to my attention that, uh, the city of San Antonio was getting an easement to build a trail along that Salado Creek. And it's going to be the Salado Creek Greenway is what they're calling it. And I, I, uh, I thought they were getting medicine wall within that easement. So I, I contacted the city of San Antonio um, and they, they were not interested actually in the, the medicine wall property, even though the owners of the area had, had tried to offer that to them, but they didn't want the liability involved in it. And so the city of San Antonio put me in touch with the owners and so that kind of started this process of gaining uh, ownership of the property.
0: So yeah, the TCC currently owns it and the Access Fund has the easement on it, correct?
2: Yeah, that's, that's right.
0: right. Yeah. Adam, what's uh what's that look like holding the conservation easement on this property?
2: Well, that's Brian.
1: Oh, or I guess uh <laughs> Brian, Brian. Yeah. I,
0: I was yeah. this morning I kept calling <coughs> Brian, Adam. Brian, what does that no. role look like for you guys? Yeah, sure
1: yeah so there was you know there was just like adam was saying there was a you know kind of a big project underway to establish all this green space and uh, you know we had as climbers we we suddenly had the opportunity to uh to own a crag and um the owner one of the one of the things that the owners wanted uh, was to ensure that the property would be uh, protected uh, perpetually and in order to do that you Uh, you can use a tool uh, called an easement which essentially is something that where the owner of a property signs away certain rights to that property uh, and that's sort of a tool that will permanently protect it. Um, So the Access Fund's role in in medicine wall is to hold this conservation and recreation easement and uh, that that establishes that medicine wall uh, you know will always be protected for climbing Will always be protected uh, in its natural state for its conservation values. Um, so, um, no matter who owns the property, uh, it will always be protected for those uses. Yeah, that was, that was part of the agreement with with the owners and then with the city um, that you know, were Medicine Wall to be acquired by a climbing organization, we would also have this easement um, overlay just to protect the property. In perpetuity
0: so what do the next steps look like do you uh not you know the bolts were all chopped is there people going yeah. back and replacing the bolts putting up new roots Are you guys doing camping trails what's uh what's on the docket for yeah. the future
2: well the yeah i mean there, there's a few things um one it, it unfortunately it's a landlocked property and so our, our agreed upon entrance is through that trail that uh, the city of San Antonio is building. Mm-hmm. Um, it's gonna be about a half mile from where the parking lot's gonna be on Highway 1604. Um, the, the only issue is they, they asked that, that we not use the trail while they're in construction. I guess your idea and my idea of a trail and what their idea of a trail is is a little different. So they're building uh, basically 12 feet of concrete trail 12 feet wide and so obviously that takes a little more construction than just you know uh a climber's trail like we would do yeah um so there's going to be some time b- until we can really gain true access to the property so we're actually holding off bolting because we don't want people you know it, it's just too inviting to have bolts on the wall and and not ignore the agreement we have with the city to wait so right. um, unfortunately uh, the access won't really be there until what we are looking at is maybe early 2020 so while we own it and it's protected which is huge uh, we we aren't going to be able to climb on it for a little time
0: oh wow that's uh that's very surprising a 12 foot wide concrete trail is this, yeah is there multiple well it's pretty
2: neat open. honestly i mean it's weird to me and you you and i but i mean you know it's an urban crag yeah um and and you know you can cycle on it i mean there's going to be a full like 90 mile circuit around the city i mean it's really pretty neat okay know?
0: so like, multiple use like bikers and dog walkers yeah. or whoever
2: hiking yeah. running yeah got um, it, got it. Okay. so it's not just you know from that half mile Trail. It's it's connecting a huge uh, a huge area that they've already you know they've already got sixty something miles of it.
1: hmm Yeah, and it, and just to just to give a little few fast facts about San Antonio, uh, it's it's really a pretty impressive project. Uh, San Antonio is the fastest growing city in the United States, and you know the ability to build out ninety miles of urban trail. Uh, really is pretty impressive. So, um, you know, while it's it's unfortunate that we have to kind of delay the opening of of Medicine Wall to the public, um, waiting one more year really is, in the grand scheme of things, not a big deal. And uh, I think just one more thing about Medicine Wall that's such a great success is that, you know, not only are we protecting, you know, a crag for climbing, uh, this is the first time an LCO's own property for climbing in Texas. It's also a project that really is adding a lot of value to the city of San Antonio's park system. So it does go, you know, as a project, it is extending uh, a little bit beyond just uh, a climbing acquisition.
0: Yeah, having the green space or access to recreation in urban area for city folk is phenomenal. I'm I'm really impressed yeah. with every city that takes advantage of that. Uh, I'm from Chicago, and there's so many green uh, green spaces and. And parks and everything in downtown, and yeah, having access to those areas is huge. How far is that from Austin? How far is uh, Madison from Austin?
1: <laughs> Depends on traffic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think it's about 90 miles. Okay. 90 miles away. Okay, right on.
0: What's the What's the size of the climbing community like around San Antonio? It's, can you gauge that at all? Uh, you, you know, to
2: that one? it's fairly fairly hard to. To gauge any what size of a climbing community mm-hmm. uh it depends on how active they are in certain things um you know they they just built a new mm-hmm. like bouldering gym For some reason San Antonio doesn't have a full gym yet, mm-hmm. I think it's in the works, but um you know in that that community every time i've we've gone there and been around you know it seems to be you know fluctuate from you know fifty to hundred people at the moment, but um you know, that gym is introducing tons of people to climbing. Um, the, you know, people understanding that, that Austin climbing is only an hour and a half away. Uh, the idea that there's an outdoor place for them to climb is pretty exciting, I think, for them. Uh, really, some some climbers in San Antonio, some old friends of mine like Mike Lewis and uh, David Kane. I mean, these guys were involved in some of the the first ascents in uh, at Enchanted Rock so you know 50 years ago 40 50 years ago nice awesome um, so it's you know there, there's been climbing in San Antonio for a long time as far as you know the the community while they might have been small the, the, those people are really active both of those people I mentioned are on the Friends of Enchanted Rock uh, organization that helps support the Park Service at Enchanted Rock mm-hmm. um, you know it's not like climbers haven't been there, that it's just you know they didn't have a space that was extremely close by.
0: Yeah. Are there any other projects worth uh, mentioning here? I know I read about uh, Continental Ranch and some, yep. some access issues there. Uh, Brian, can you speak on that uh, project? Yeah, right? absolutely. Uh, Continental Ranch,
1: just for a little bit of background, um, is a is a private ranch on the Pecos River, not too far from um, where it feeds into the Rio Grande, uh, and it's a massive ranch, um, goes back multiple generations, and uh, you know I think climbing was sort of discovered out there maybe 20 years ago, maybe a little bit more, uh, and it's it's been a long-standing um, access project. Uh, initially, you know climbers were sort of Kind of free to go out there and you know leave their leave their day use fee in a, in a drop box and you know i think over time the owners had concerns with liability and you know there was sort of a, a closure that took place for a number of years uh, and then a couple of years ago we sort of looked into reopening the ranch and uh, where things stand currently is uh, that the ranch is open for guided access um, and you know we've We've had challenges trying to get climbers to uh, climbers out there in, in big enough numbers for it to be, um, you know, a, a viable business for the owners. And um, you know, we're always looking into to ways to address liability, looking into ways to, um, you know, encourage more encourage and allow more climbers to go out there. Um, so yeah, I mean, but it's it's a fantastic resource, and there must be. Um, You know close to 13 miles of of riverfront and you know there's a there's a lifetime of rock to to climb out there for sure what kind of rock is it limestone Limestone. yeah it's all limestone dark gray it's like as hard as the deck of a battleship um it's ranges in height from you know kind of i don't know what would you say adam probably around 40 feet upwards of you know 100 plus just depending on one yeah, I mean, section of the river.
2: So I don't, I'm not sure some of that 100-foot stuff has been bolted yet, but yeah. really that, I mean, the continent, the Continental Ranch is just a, a small bit of really the rock that's on that Pecos River. Um, while that's a, a place that we've historically gotten access, so the the family's been really gracious to us. Uh, you know, they're they've got a lot to lose. If there were some negative things happen so we understand the liability concerns mm-hmm. um, and they're you know the the ranch when Brian says massive I mean it's 30,000 acres you know so the the property's not just about climbing they do a lot of other stuff yeah okay. um, but yeah that Pecos River Gorge I mean good Lord if you you go down that river both sides of that river are just you know miles of climbing I mean you know an unbelievable amount of rock if we could just get some access to it.
0: Yeah. What kind of uh, outreach efforts do you do to communicate with the community? I'm kind of backtracking back to the Medicine Wall real quick, but now that it's opening back up, um, just making sure that folks take care of the place and realize what has happened in the past and now that you have access again to make sure they take care of it and keep the access well maintained uh, is there any kind of outreach
1: efforts you do with the community or are planning on doing yeah well, we try to we try to communicate you know through all the the normal social media channels and then um, Adam and I went down to San Antonio to the to the gym down there and held a little informational session uh, right after the acquisition just to you know let the community know the situation um, so you know we'll con- continue to do those sorts of things and Keep the community updated and keep us all in in a good stead with the city and our in our partners down there. Yeah,
2: I mean, just well, we you know, unfortunately, the the thing that we need the most now is money. So that's kind of where we're talking to the, a lot of the people, and the outreach kind of goes with um, asking for cash. But you know, people have they've especially the San Antonio folks they've been wanting something. You know, in this this particular property to open for a long time and open in a positive way, and so they've been really giving and and just their excitement is pretty uh, palatable. You can see, you know, that they're really excited to have something. They want to, you know, they're they're good to wait a little bit and respect the city's uh, request right now, mm-hmm. and and still be able to help us fund the the, the situation.
0: Yeah, did you? Did you Guys, use utilize like the loan program and that that revolving fund that the access fund has. Is that part of this whole project?
2: No, uh, we didn't
1: utilize that. Um, you know, it was it was um, uh, the access fund's role was really to hold the conservation and recreation easement, um, and then you know TCC's fundraising strategy is you know reaching out to. Foundations for grant funding opportunities, uh, but then, you know, especially focusing in on on the community and, and sourcing funds from them just so that they are uh, invested in the long term success of SMO. Mm-hmm. All right, I apologize for backtracking there. There's
0: a couple of questions I thought of after no, we no worries. Uh, talked about Continental Ranch. Um, so, besides yeah, pro- the, the private landowners, uh, you also have, you. you we, we've mentioned Chain and Rock a, a few times. There's also state land that climbing falls under in the Texas Parks and Wildlife, Um, and I think I've read about four or five different parks aside from Enchanted Rock. Uh, Brian, where are those other parks um, in Texas?
1: Yeah, so there's about four or five um, state parks that, you know, that promote and and advertise for rock climbing, um, and these are all Within the inventory of Texas, the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, uh, and, and maybe the biggest and most well-known, of course, is Waco Tanks, mm-hmm. uh, which is a state park uh, and also a state historic site. Um, and then you, you know, Enchanted Rock, which is the big granite dome um, west of Austin, and then McKinney Falls State Park, which is like a really hard bouldering area right in the middle of Austin, um, and then also uh, Lake Mineral Wells State Park. Uh, which is a little bit north of, of Austin, south of Dallas. Um, so those are, the, those are kind of the big areas. Um, and you know, just to give people a little bit of background on, on public lands climbing in Texas, I think a lot, those, the, those areas are really um, some of our most valuable climbing in Texas. Um, and you know, there, there's a lot of o- other opportunities for climbing in state parks in Texas. Um, I think the Franklin Mountains outside Bel Paso is another state park that that advertises for climbing. Um, so, you know, as climbers, it's it's pretty important that we support state parks because so much of the the climbing that we utilize depends on on um, you know their lands.
0: Well, I think that provides a perfect segue into the latter half of this conversation, uh, yeah. focused on the policy related work and your new campaign climbers for state parks. You wanna
1: start giving us some background on that one, Brian? Sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to. And and the background um, concerning the issues facing state parks in Texas are really, you know, not that different in many ways from, you know, the issues facing our national park system. You know, parks in Texas are overused and underfunded. Um, The way state parks are funded in Texas uh, is through Uh, The sporting goods and sales tax. So every time you go buy a fishing pole, uh, the tax that's collected on that goes into a bucket of money that's supposed to be, um, you know, supposed to fund Texas Parks and Wildlife. Um, And and historically, you know, most of that money has been appropriated by the legislature to state parks, but it's never been fully appropriated. Um, So you know, consequently our state parks have a backlog of deferred maintenance projects somewhere on the order of like $700 million. It's just a tremendous amount of money. You know, so many of these parks were built, um, in the thirties and they've got infrastructure that's just on the verge of failing. And and so many state parks are just, you know, one burst pipe away from closing. And we've already started to see this, um, at a number of state parks. And then compounding, you know, compounded on top of that is the fact that we're always playing catch up from the last natural disaster. So we had a state park in Bastrop, Texas, which was wiped out by a forest fire, um, and then of course when Hurricane Harvey blew through in 2017, that wiped out a number of state parks along the Gulf Coast. So every legislative cycle, um, you know, we're always trying to play catch up from the last natural disaster. And, you know, we're never able to, to address this, this backlog of projects that need to be addressed. So um, that was a long winded way of, of bringing up, you know, a campaign that, that Access Fund has launched this legislative session, which we're just calling Climbers for State Parks. And essentially it's, you know, a way for climbers to show their support for Texas parks and wildlife Uh, To educate climbers about the broader issues confronting state parks and how, you know, even though there might be a state park um, somewhere up in, you know, northeast Texas that has no connection to climbing, the challenges that confront that park do have sort of a knock on effect system wide. So, some of the other things that, you know, we're looking to do is to hold education sessions um, with lawmakers, with people inside Texas Parks and Wildlife. To also show the value of climbing in state parks, um, and, and you know, to show that the outdoor recreation economy is huge in Texas, and that you know, climbing is a is a key piece of that economy.
0: We mentioned the recreational use statute earlier in the conversation, and during our first conversation uh, a couple months ago or a month ago. You mentioned that you guys tried or had been attempted to amend it in the past.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, Last legislative session, we had a bill that would amend the recreational use statute um, and add rock climbing as a listed activity. And you know, part of part of why we were doing that was to um, you know to, to change the law and to change how liability is governed. Um, in both private and public lands, uh, but sort of the, the, another reason for doing that was just to be able to have something that we can approach landowners with and say, you know, hey, you guys are familiar with hunting and fishing and they're familiar with the rec use statute and, you know, hunting and fishing are clearly listed there. Um, and so having rock climbing listed alongside these other activities sort of gives us a way to say, you know, to alleviate their concerns about liability, to say, hey, look, you can address uh, the liability from rock climbing on your property the same way you address it for hunting and fishing. Um, and we had, uh, we had a lot of support for the bill. It was a bipartisan bill. We had a Democratic House sponsor, a Republican Senate sponsor. Um, we had support in the governor's office, and we had support from a broad range of trade associations. Um, and, and ultimately, we weren't successful just uh, because of a, you know, a, our bill ended up on a calendar to be heard. Uh, it was just it ended up on the wrong calendar, and you know it was it was killed um, along with a, a whole slate of other bills, and what we've sort of coined the Mother's Day massacre. <laughs> so um, it, it was a great bill. It you know it didn't have any opposition except for uh, I think one one House representative. Um, who was actually voted out this this last cycle? Um, so you know it had it had broad support, and you know we'll definitely be tackling that again this session. Yeah,
0: so this is round two going after this that.
1: This is this is round two. That's right. What's and we haven't announced it yet, but you know I guess I can get the jump on my own news news that we've you know we've secured a Senate and House sponsor for our bill, and it's it's Great. been filed, and you know we're going to start uh, building support for it again. A better shot this session. Great, that's
0: really good to hear. What's, uh, what's your timeline look like?
1: Well, the legislature in Texas meets once every two years. So it's one of the, one of the last states that still has a legislature that meets that way. Um, and the session runs for 140 days beginning in January. So you know, it runs through, essentially through the end of May. So you know, right now things are pretty quiet. Um, you know, the next, the next thing, big thing that'll happen is that committee assignments are made um, and then the bill will start to work its way through the committee process. And then, you know, that typically happens, uh, you know, late February, maybe early March. Um, and then, you know, it's heard on the House floor, heard on the Senate floor, uh, and then ultimately will work its way up to the governor's office. And, and I would say typically the bulk of legislation ends up on the governor's desk, um, usually around May. Okay.
0: Adam, does the TCC have any role in this, or is this uh, primarily access funds responsibility?
2: Well, it's primarily, uh, yeah, the access funds, you know, work, but we're definitely there to support and, however we can, uh, you know, be that uh, communicating to our membership to support, you know, Brian and his efforts, or, uh, you know, I go there with him and, and support as well. Uh, you know, there you can sometimes have too many, too many chiefs in the, you know, working on stuff, too many bosses. And so I, you know, when it comes, Brian obviously has the legislative knowledge and experience, although I've worked a little bit in, in that as well, but he, he knows way more people and has way more connections there. And that's, that's really what legislative works about. And so um, mainly we're here to support the Access Fund and their efforts. and um you know hopefully eventually you're also re- reap the rewards from it <laughs>
0: yeah of course i mean does it provide any extra credibility having uh, an lco like yours like yours um there to help and assist
2: well yeah definitely yeah. i mean you know anytime you can say that we've we have you know 45 years of uh, being active you know people tend to listen to you a little more right um you know uh, same with the access fund being around for so long as well, you know?
0: Yeah. You want to provide credibility, but like you were trying to say, too many cooks in the kitchen can clutter things up a little bit.
2: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Definitely when it comes to legislative work. Right. So I, I, we don't want to step on the toes of the access funds work.
0: Right. Of course. Um, well, th- awesome guys. I uh, kind of wrap this up here. Are there any, resources folks can uh, find online or anything to learn more about the campaign or contribute or help out at all
2: yeah, I yeah Texas our- climbers coalition org is our website uh, there's a page for not only just a uh, normal donations but donations that go uh, to medicine wall on medicine walls page um, those funds are kept uh, directly on to use toward the medicine wall so we're we're kind of earmarking any funds that were given toward that to be used for it. What's your goal? Uh, $37,000 and just from Climbers, we've already uh, got $5,000, uh, almost five grand. Um, and then I just found out yesterday that the Conservation Alliance is giving us a $10,000 grant. Awesome. So that's pretty awesome. Also, Brian helped uh, help me write that and so, Thanks a ton for, for him, because for, I don't know if we'd have got that done, honestly, if it weren't for Brian. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a huge deal. I mean, um, and we can't be more grateful to the Conservation Alliance.
1: Brian, did you want to add anything? Yeah, I'll just plug our, our Access Fund Texas website, which is a, a good place to go for updates on not only the climbers for state parks, but just the other work that we're doing uh, statewide, and that's accessfund.org forward slash Texas. That should be easy enough, right? Yes, that's (laughs) very easy to remember.
0: Adam, is there one piece of advice that you can give to other LCOs?
2: One piece of advice? Uh, Operationally or
0: anything?
2: Well, you know, I think the the best thing that can happen is have, you know, excited volunteers on the board, and uh, nothing helps more than to have people that can help you you know and and we we've had that in the past and we have some new folks on our board this year that uh, thankfully they're going to be helping a lot and you know it really matters I mean, as a volunteer organization just having people that are excited to help it, it matters the
1: most brian any last words no i think i think Adam said it well i think one of the one of the most important things for an lco is just to have an engaged and, and motivated board.
0: Alrighty, well, thanks, guys. This has uh, been a wealth of information, and I, I knew it would be. Brian, when we first spoke, I mean, you just went yeah. on and on about in your about Texas and your passion for Texas climbing is is uh, very obvious and palpable as well. So, with that being said, I want to thank you both for your time, and uh, I hope we run into each other somewhere down the road, and I'll make it down south one of these days.
2: Yeah, come on down. Thanks for having us, man.
0: All right. Thank you, guys. Take care. Thanks a lot, Peter. All right. right, Bye-bye. See you later. All righty. There we have it. Episode four, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you all for tuning in today. Um, I had a lot of fun recording this episode. I want to thank the folks at the Ice Lab on Western Colorado University's campus for letting me use their beautiful studio here. I jumped into a professional studio for this episode, and it was heck of a lot of fun um, sitting in there with all this professional equipment. So th- big thanks to them. Big thanks to Brian and Adam for uh, joining me today. I learned a lot. I hope you did as well. And I'm very intrigued to get down to Texas to check out the climbing down there. Definitely need to check out Waco. That's probably number one on the list, but uh, there's so much more to be had. So I'm excited to check it out one of these days. And uh, I hope it's a learning experience for you guys. And stay warm out there, especially my uh, friends and family and fellow climbers in the midwest it's uh, pretty pretty nasty back home so um unless you're in somewhere already warm down in texas or arizona or anything so uh, stay warm out there stay safe and we'll catch you guys next time